1: Hey, I'm Donna Miro and this is Through the Fire, a podcast about overcoming adversity, reframing misfortune, and celebrating courage. On this show, you're going to meet some really incredible people who have been through some heavy stuff, but they've come through the other side, and the hope is that you're encouraged and inspired by the words that you hear. Today's guest is a singer-songwriter who's an up-and-coming voice in the folk and roots scene here in Canada. I is someone who's made a name for himself outside of Canadian Borders First, and I can't wait to hear more about that. We're going to talk a little bit today about race relations as well, and about what it's like being somebody who's been marginalized because of the color of their skin. As always, we recommend you check out the episode notes or any resources we have over at donamero.ca. I thank you so much for uh, joining me here on Through the Fire I've known of you for quite some time. Actually, we have a friend, a, a mutual pal somewhere down the line. Uh, I have a friend, Dunkin'. Melanie Reed, out on the East Coast in PEI. I think you stayed at her place yeah! and did a house concert <laughs> with her um, many moons ago. And um, and I'm uh, dear friends with her and her father who passed away a couple years ago. Yeah, um, yeah. And she was the first one to mention you to me. And then you blew up. You kind of were all over the place. And I was like, that's that guy that was at the dunk where I was in, in, uh, dunk, in PEI. Yeah. And, um, and so I've been following you ever since then. And, um, to be honest, I kind of dove more into your story this week, obviously preparing for this conversation. And I got to say this, I'm a huge fan. I'm I'm a huge fan of of your heart and what you do and your purpose. Um, and I just want to give you all the kudos there because there is a part of what you're doing that really resonated with me. So I wanted to start off with that. I'm I'm just really uh, enamored with your music and and your story and your heart and all this, man. really appreciate (laughs) you
0: first of all shout out to Melanie she's awesome I, we, I spent like a few days there and it was, it was like a writing camp kind of thing not a camp but like I, it was just like a retreat for me to just to hang mm-hmm. out write music and we did the house concert and we bonded like so much and she's such a real down-to-earth person yeah, honest yeah. person and that was one of my favorite like experiences as an artist you know what I mean did just you meet Catherine there.
1: McClellan while you were hanging there too, yeah. So we went yeah. to
0: Catherine McClellan. Also, lost her father, and um, yeah. she did a um, a concert like of his songs. So we got to go see the concert and get to mm. meet her. She's awesome, and I met her daughter, and her daughter is yeah. so sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah. That PI. Was, was is, that whole like East Coast trip? I did it during the fall, and I was by myself driving in a car, and that like was one of the most calming. I don't know what Mm. was going on in my life at the time, maybe nothing, but it just felt like such a calming time and just driving Mm. to to, to that area, just like um, going from, where do we go from? uh, Nova Scotia to New Brunswick to PEI, and it was all just like fall colors everywhere. It was the most beautiful thing ever, and I'll Mm -hmm. never forget that time, you know what I mean? Um, I I know it well. Yeah. Right. Right. the only The only the only um qualms I have is the having to pay like sixty dollars to get out of PI <laughs> on the. <laughs>
1: you can come for free, but you got to pay to leave.
0: <laughs> you got to pay to leave. What is that? <laughs> it's entrapment, literally. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's why their their numbers are going up all the time because people can't afford to get away. Can't, can't um... leave. That's great. I love
0: them. <laughs> it was beautiful. Though. I had a great time.
1: Yeah, that is definitely a, pe- a beautiful piece of our country here in, in Canada. Um, you know, I, I'm going to put you on the spot for just a second because, again, I, I dove into your story this week, and I don't want to tell your story. You know, there's, there's there's listeners out there that may be meeting you for the first time, you know, listening in here today. If I was to ask you, you know, could you give me a Coles Notes version of your story? Uh, it might be hard because I know you've got a, 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 an epic, you know, journey up till now, but... Um, if, if somebody was to say, yeah, tell me your story, what would you share in, in that sort of, you know, in a couple Ooh. of minutes?
0: Like, my, yeah. my story has so many parts to it. It's like, you know, it's. I think the definitive moment for me in my life, my career, is like traveling. You know what I mean? And I would say, like, that is a big part of my story. But well, my family's a big part of my story, but they're like the next chapter or the next, the sequel. To the story
1: you, you, your kids right you're the same. My, your, your my kids my wife yeah, yeah. yeah. um
0: yeah. and uh but the, the traveling i backpacked across ontario backpacked across trinidad backpacked across ethiopia you know all vastly different experiences didn't realize how huge ontario was until i got to thunder mm. bay and i was just like <laughs> what what am i doing like, what, you know before,
1: what I mean? before you go into that then for just a second so what were you doing pre-backpack before you right. put the backpack on what were you up to
0: Oh, right before that, I dropped out of university. You know what right. I mean? What were you what I, we working on? I was doing uh, philosophy and political science, right? Okay. Uh, the two, the two ones where you're like, "What are you going to become after that?" Like, I don't know. I'm going to just teach philosophy and political science and forever. But uh, I was in university. I had a band uh, with some some friends of mine. We were called. It's very boy, boy bandish. The name, not the band, uh, called Back to Now. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we never did a show. We would rehearse every weekend and then go to Gage Park in Brampton and do shows in Gage Park. And I just started looking at my life really differently. And I remember I was in um, a debate class. It was like, not a debate class, but it was more like a, how to build arguments for a debate, right? And I was just looking around my room and I was like, I'm not supposed to be here. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I just got up in that moment, nodded at my teacher, my, my, my TA, and left and um I'd say I never went back but I I spent the rest of the year pretending like I was still in school so that I didn't have to tell my parents uh because my dad very strict West Indian household you know you go to school become a doctor lawyer teacher um and I just deviated and I was like the first one of my siblings to be a um, honorable student student council president you know very popular in school you know very Mm -hmm. athletic uh I I had a promising future. Right. But I was always like a wayward kind of guy, awkward dude. Um, and I just said, I'm just not for me. My mom's a teacher. My dad was a teacher. My sister's a teacher. My godparents are both my, my, my godmother's a lo- lawyer. My godfather's a principal. My aunt is a teacher, like everybody's teachers in my family. Mm-hmm. So for me to leave school was a big decision. So, uh, when I finally told them I was leaving school, shortly after that, I moved out uh, and then started my own life.
1: Was there tension? Obviously, I feel oh, like there would have been oh, tension oh, oh. in that.
0: <laughs> tension, tension, tension is a light word. Understood. Oh my god! Well, it was so tense that I had to move out. Right? <laughs> right. 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 was like I just—I okay. made this plan I was like. The, the funniest thing is, like, in high school, I told my mom I didn't want to go to university because I was already losing interest in school, and I was better at convincing my teachers to give me good grades. And then my passion was for the work itself right I would I would like debate with my teachers and be like this is why you should give me a good grade and this is what I deserve and, and it doesn't matter if I could apply the knowledge I know because I know the knowledge and I was just I just good at talking to my teachers and you know it's probably all garbage in hindsight but they liked me and they they gave me good grades because they liked me and I and when I did my work I did it well but you know I didn't always do it um, and I just remember telling my mom I didn't want to be in the university and she just laughed at me because it was just, it was the idea was preposterous and um, I was working with the Boys and Girls Club around that time, and I just remember saving all my checks. Every check I got, I didn't put it in the bank. I didn't didn't use it. I just saved it, saved it, saved it. And then when I, when I dropped out of university, I spent that the rest of that year, I spent like a year and a half, well, I spent half, I'm no, sorry. So I did a whole year normally, and then about a quarter of a year actually going to school. And then the rest of that year was me pretending like I was in school. And then when I left, and I told them maybe I dropped out of school, and I knew I had at that point, me and my dad were gonna—it was gonna be too much. So I'm like, I gotta prepare to move out. I presented my mom all these checks. I said, I said, I want to move out. And then she laughed again. She's like, How are you gonna do that? And then I just dropped a bunch of checks on the table. And it's funny because at the time I didn't even have a bank account, right? I was right. like, Can you cash? Can you cash these for me, right? And I was—I wasn't young, but I just didn't—I didn't do banking and stuff like that, you know. I was the youngest of four, so very sheltered. And I just said, Here, I have all this money. I want to move out. Right, and she she did it. She was at that point. She took me seriously. My dad and I had a big, big butting of heads. Mm. Um, and the day I moved out, it was like I don't remember a lot about it, but I just remember walking up the driveway and his. You know what? I don't remember what he said, but he was not happy. Right. Mm. Um, and I think that that kind of led me on like a, a more spiritual journey after that. You know, because I was on my own. wasn't going to the university. All my friends were in university. All my closest friends were in university. And I was just trying to figure out what is like, what's the purpose of life? I know that question sounds like flighty and you know, vague, whatever, but it was a big question for me. And it was always a big question for me in school, which is probably why I took philosophy and political science. Cause I was like, what am I doing here? What is the purpose of all this? And and those backpacking trips were a way for me to put myself in the elements and put myself in the world and just see like, what am I without my parents? What am I without my siblings? Cause we have, we, we often, Our family can be the greatest helpers in the world, but they can also be the biggest crutch. You ever go to your parents' house, and then you're like their child again, and like, and they're like, babying you, and like, it's kind of uncomfortable because you're like, hey, I can do this myself, or like, we fall back into these habits because we built these habits for so long. And sometimes we just got to separate from everything.
1: As you're telling this part of your story, there's a part of me that goes, I don't think enough people do that that, that, that sort of detach themselves from their home life and go, what's the purpose of all this? And I almost feel like that if more people did that, there'd be a lot more joy in the world. And, and sort hard. of go on it's this hard journey. To do that. It, it's hard because you, you, you go, wait, I got to pay bills. I got to do this, I got to do that. Not everybody's going to say, I got a bunch of checks saved up and I'm going to have a backpack and go.
0: If family life was nourishing progressive and I mean progressive in the most non-political way possible then we may not have to do that right cuz a lot of us and I don't you know I don't want to get too heavy but like a lot of us are dealing with trauma like you know what I mean big trauma small trauma traumatic experiences things that shaped your mentality or your way of dealing with people in a negative way right so if you came from a healthy environment where people want to see the best for you they don't put any boxes on you. They wanna they wanna help you find what you're gonna excel at in life, as opposed to just saying teacher, doctor, lawyer. These are this is all you can be. When like the whole legal system has thousands of jobs, right? Like you can I can be a I can be the what do you call the guy who draws the the the, the person who draws in the courtroom like stenographer yeah or, yeah. yeah yeah i don't know I'm if that's like, the stenographer you, get, you get what I'm right. saying? like that's a viable job in that industry that most of us never think that we can do because no because it's doctor teacher lawyer police like these these are game of life jobs you know what i mean yeah ultimately what i'm saying is if we grew up in a healthy environment an, an environment that is that thrives on allowing us to excel to our fullest potential we may not have to take those trips. Right, I see what you're saying. I wouldn't want everybody to take those trips either. First, it can be dangerous. Like I was in several dangerous situations on my journeys, you know what I mean? Um, And I was just naive and wide-eyed, so I I didn't realize the level of... Like I I backpacked across Ethiopia. Is there there
1: one story that stands out in your mind when you say dangerous situations? I'm just curious.
0: Like on a very basic level, not dangerous in terms of getting robbed or beat up, but like in terms of like... um, We were on these... They're called... I think they're called tap-taps. I don't know if that's the Haiti term for it, but there's the buses that they use are, I think they're called tap taps, right? And you're driving on the mountains of Ethiopia. These are some of the highest altitudes in the world. Very narrow roads, and it's winding like this, going up, 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 right? And like the road that I'm gonna be on in like half an hour is literally right beside me. But you're winding so much and going up these these high mountains that it just takes forever to get there our bus crashed and everybody had to get off the bus and they had to like, I don't even know how you call someone in that situation. Like you walk to the next town, then they call from landline and then they got to pull out the bus from there and then replace a uh, parts of it. So like, that's dangerous mm-hmm. because the bus crashed thankfully, but what if the bus went the other way and went down the hill? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I've left stuff on buses where like are in vehicles where it's like I had to go track the bus down or chase the bus down to get my stuff. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. no one ever robbed me, and I, I, you know, maybe I look intimidating. I don't know. Like, this is gonna sound horrible. The one benefit of being a black male with scraggly beard is that more people are afraid of you than you are of them, right? Uh, <laughs> and uh, so people yeah. tend to stay away from me. But uh, yeah, ultimately, you're out there in in the world and. You know, most people have good intentions and most people want to see the best for you. But money is a thing that if they think you have it, some people will do whatever it takes to get it from you. You know what I mean? If, if and Especially if they think you're vulnerable, right?
1: Could, could I just go back and ask you? So yeah. what in your mind said, I got to get a backpack and go? Like that part of your story is really intriguing to me because it was like, like you could have gone, got a nine to five. You could have, did you already have music going right. on? I, multiple layer question here, but you know, you got your backpack and went?
0: The music was like, like I said, we had that band, but the band folded and and uh, no, one, no one was taking it as seriously as I was. We weren't that great, but, you know, we were, it was fun. It was exciting. Um, and I spent a, a bit of time living with my sister and just kind of like reading a lot of stuff, doing a lot of writing. I, I, I like to write like books and ideas and stuff. And my dad's from Trinidad, so that was the first like um, trip that I took that was like, I wanted to go to what I, you know, call my fatherland, you know what I mean, Trinidad and Tobago. And it was, it was. I just wanted to kind of, because it was awkward asking my dad, like, hey, tell me about your history. Tell me about where you're from. I just took it upon myself and did it myself. And it was more like a diving into my history and my past. And, you know, I got to go see where he, where like, um, crazy story. Like, I went to the town that he grew up in and I just went into the random bar just to ask for, directions or ask for something and i was sitting down and i was like telling the guy who on the bar he's like yeah my dad's myro he's from here and then he asked there's this guy sitting in that bar and he's like hey you know you know myro used to live back here and it ended up being like my dad's best friend no from way when he was young and they still like talk every christmas right i had no clue like i was in the general vicinity of where he lived i didn't know where where he used to live and this guy was just sitting in the bar and then we started talking And just like, you know, he brought me to his house and whatnot, name was, you know, Clive. And I was like, and then my dad found out, hey, you saw Clive, like, and that kind of kindled like some kind of conversations between us. But that's just random, random stuff. You know, I'm a very spiritual dude. I don't really try to like beat it on the head. I don't try to like push it onto people. But I think like life is very deep. Like life is, there's there's more to this life than we realize. We're connected in ways that we sometimes are not paying attention to. And um, when you throw yourself into the, the elements like that. There's an awareness for me, at least. There's an awareness and a heightened awareness that I get. That just like you, you kind of feel like you're you're in tune with nature. Like you know what I mean? Like, like in tune with with just things and like it's it's weird and and like almost like like a movie. But it's 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 it's. There, I think there's something to to life when you just kind of connect to people, and you're open, just open, open, open. Those little things happen. Like like what are the chances? of me walking into that bar at that time and my dad's now that the other side of it is like maybe he's just always in that bar and never never left that bar which is like yeah chances are a story within itself
1: yeah you know it's interesting when you say that like the 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 term that comes to mind for me is open to the divine whatever that should be right like the idea of 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 you know taking not being afraid to take the leap into something that you don't fully know the outcome, but you're like right. I feel pulled in this direction, and so um, you know I, I'm a dad, I got three kids, uh, I've been I'm a uh, you know full time musician for 15 years, and I have um, I've really enjoyed my career, and and part of it is this blind faith to just jump in, going I think this is what I'm supposed to do. I mean I didn't have right. any education or, or career plans other than music, and so when I jumped into music, it was very much like. I believe this is what I'm supposed to do. And I'm just going to be open to whatever the right. divine has for me beyond this. And it's, it's kind of worked out. And I think, you know, in your story, when I witnessed from afar, I'm, I'm really seeing a guy who was open to the divine and, and somebody who's willing to take, take the leap, not knowing the outcome on the other side. Um, and has that been a big part of your, obviously you just said like, like just sort of being open to God's whatever to ahead for you and not being afraid to, to fail along the way.
0: Oh yeah, it's it's everything to me. Like, yeah, I put my faith in God and everything I do. I have a lot of faith. I'm obviously coming from a religious background. Like that was also part of why I took those trips to kind of figure out what was real. Cause you, you grew up in the church and the church is, um, I won't say this cause I can get in trouble from a lot of people who are my fans, but I'll say <laughs> uh, there's a lot of like uh, distractions in the church and a lot mm. of like BS, just, just put it that way, right? And if if you're not you know and it's but i do believe there's a tangible part of spirituality that like if we're all connected you know just really like you said open um so everything i do is guided by that like you know what i mean To, to to various degrees and various levels like you know every part of my trips you know going to ethiopia it's one of the most like some of the stuff out there is like the most ancient forms of spirituality and religion out there you know what i mean like we have living monuments of today that like embody things of, you know, re- the religious past or the spiritual past. Um, and that, that opened my eyes to things too, like to like the whole commoditizing of the church, or spirituality, like going and people right. paying money to see what they believe is the uh, Ark of the Covenant. I didn't do other that, that stuff, but like, there's people like paying money to take pictures in a place that they think that might have the Ark of the Covenant and who, you don't get to see it cause no one mm-hmm. can see it. So how do you know it's there? Right. But, um, yeah. I think at the, at the heart of everything is people, you know what I mean? It's people, is this this deep-rooted feeling that we all have, and that we're all connected in an interesting way, you know?
1: I'm a faith guy, I'm a church-going guy, and when you say, you know, that, that there's a lot of BS in it, I totally agree, and there's a lot that you're saying that, right, again, right. A kindred spirit, I feel like, you know, somebody who is, you're saying stuff that, you know, I've listened to some of your other podcasts and, and conversations you've had, and I'm going, this guy, I see eye to eye totally with I um and and somebody who's really <laughs> saying things that i that resonate with me um and so i'm I'm really drawn to that now was there a moment you're like this music thing is working and i and i'm and i'm going to keep going with it or was it like were you all in and like it has to be this
0: oh i'm still asking that question <laughs> <laughs> <No>. uh, <laughs> fair enough um no no i think when my daughter turned one so prior to that, I was like making music, but I wasn't pursuing a career. I was just doing it. I loved it. I enjoyed singing. I enjoyed writing songs. Um, but when my daughter turned one, it's almost like I just woke up one morning and went to my wife. I said, "I'm ready now. Like I'm ready to do this, right?" And the first thing we did was a play-to-play show. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that went, you know, you know how those things go. Yeah. But that was just me saying, "I want to get out there. I want to share songs. I want to go and and share my music with the world and and try to make a career out of this." Um, and um, from there, we just kept going. And and it's, you know, it's been just about a decade since then. It's a little bit more than a decade. And um, so I've been doing it, but it's like, when I'm not the type of artist that has ever had just like someone just say, hey, I believe in you. I, I want to invest this much money in you. or Like a lot of artists don't get that. But like, if people look at my career from where it began to where it is now, like you'll see steps, like you'll see yeah. like literal, like, oh, you went from this to this. To this, to this, so we went from doing pay to play gigs to saying, F all these pay to play promoters, we're gonna become promoters, started putting on our own shows to, okay, this stuff doesn't work and I don't wanna focus on other people's careers, I wanna focus on my own career. Like if I'm gonna do a show, put all my efforts into my own career. So I did a coffee shop tour, like a coffee shop a day. So I think we have over 30 coffee shops, but it's like some we did two in a day, all over um, Toronto and surrounding areas and just perform at coffee shops because it was the only place that would let me perform without like any problems. I wasn't getting paid really. They'd pay me a little bit like tips or like some, some coffee shops, would be, like here's a little thing or give me free food. Um, some of them were great and fun. Some of them were just like, just the staff there that had fun, but it was like just turning that wheel and getting out there and, and, and getting repetitions for myself. And then the definitive moment for me was when, when we decided to go to England, right? It's very easy to shit on Canada and say negative things about Canada and the Canadian music industry um, which I will do now but, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> but, but I, no, I don't wanna I feel like we have this thing it's like it's, it should be on like a coin or a, or a dollar bill like you know we don't always respect our own or appreciate our own until they go celebrating our own. And, yeah. Right, right. We don't celebrate our own until until uh, they get celebrated abroad. You know, it happens mm-hmm. all the time. And one of the most iconic versions of that is is a Feist, in my opinion, right? right? She went to France and then she blew up. And I don't know, she was getting some love here in Toronto already, but like the, the notoriety she got, Drake is another great example in, in on a bigger scale, right? But I remember Feist was always the example that I would hear before, right?
1: Right, um, totally.
0: And I, I feel like, you know, with my career, I I felt that, I still feel that to this day that I don't get the love in Canada, but that's another conversation. But going to England just opened up my mind to like, you know, going to their open mic nights and me, my wife my daughter at the time, she was like three, just running up these stairs. I don't know if you've ever been to London, but like they have stairs in there, like the subway um, that's just like crazy. Like it'll warn you how many steps you're going to take before you go up. Just so you know, there's 300 steps (laughs) <laughs> right. Up these stairs So if you want to take the elevator You should find and the the is like super far You're like in the tunnel It's crazy Right. But we were just hustling out there And you go to open mics And there were people In some of these open mics That's so like You should be signed And you know, and some of them got mm. signed Later down the road Like we were in the same I don't know if you know J.P. Cooper But he's a huge artist in, uh, okay. out of, um, I, think it's, I I don't know if he's still on Island Records or if, But at the time I think he was And um, he was just doing the same circuit That we were doing at the time You know what I mean? Um, I remember Ellie Goulden was like, she just popped up out of that circuit. Like she was doing these open mic nights in certain venues. So just seeing that and the possibility of like an artist being able to just make it from this circuit where it felt like that was impossible in Toronto. You know what I mean? Like You could play supermarket every weekend and it doesn't happen. Like J.P. Sachs is a great example. We used to all go to supermarket together and then until he went to LA and it took took a while as as a writer, he was doing writing camps and whatnot or just you know writing for himself as well and uh, he finally broke in in with that huge song obviously but he was doing a, he was doing a lot of work before that people don't realize like he was at right. supermarket with us every week and him his dad and he'll tell you if you ever meet like we care to say it me and my daughter and my wife are out there every week in that supermarket but you saw like a dead end there that it wasn't gonna it couldn't go much further so going to england was like this is what it's about. This is how you get to that next level. Like, you know, you gotta write great songs. You gotta, like, be a performer when you get on stage. So, I'll tell you one quick story. We we're playing at a, a festival called, it's called Marleybone Festival. I'm probably saying that wrong, Marleybone, right? Mm. <laughs> festival. And I was on, and there's this artist named Polly Money. Shout out to Polly Money. My guitar string broke, right? and I didn't have a replacement string, and my festival set was only a certain amount of time, so the time it would have took for me to restring and figure it out. There goes your set. There goes my set. So she let Ooh. me use her guitar, but it still pushed the set a little bit back. And then she went up, and she had these little kite-shaped business cards that she put out in front, and when Matt, I think his name was Matt Bellamy from Muse, and Kate Hudson, I believe that was his wife at the time, I don't know if they're still together, with their child we were just walking through in the show saw her perform and took one of her cards and then the next week like in week or two she was playing at stade de france to like a cap of 80,000 people i don't know if they actually filled up that room and um i remember just thinking man like she she was just ready you know what i mean and that the opportunity presented itself you gotta always be ready. And that that's what England taught me. Like there's so many musicians like just out there, just always hustling. It was a beautiful thing, London. It was crazy, like fast paced. Mm. But that was the first time like in my career, where I was like, okay, now I'm thinking like a, a competitor kind of, you know what I mean? Right. Like trying to seek excellence. And then the next stage of my career was Nashville. Right. Now that was like honing my craft. I wanna become a better songwriter. Saw a show in Nashville at 3rd and Lindsley. Casey Musgraves was the surprise artist there, but all her writers at the time were there. So Brandi Clark, Josh McNally and John Osborne were all writers at the time and they wrote a lot of Casey stuff. And uh, I didn't know any of these people. I didn't know who Casey was, didn't know who the writers were, but I remember just feeling like there's so much meaning to their writing and their stories and the way they broke it down and certain songs they were writing. I was like, like the songwriting, the craft and like the tools they use yeah. to work into their music. It was like another level for me. And I said to myself, you know, oh, I'm not comp- I'm not competing against my peers at supermarket or in Toronto. These are my competition. Like, if I want someone to listen to my song over a certain person's song, it's these people. Like Casey Musgraves is my competition, not, you know what I mean? Um, and that took right. me into a professional mindset, how to how to hone my craft, how to become a songwriter. And then I just went into a crazy songwriting thing you know what I mean so I started much later than most artists like I started pretty much in my 20s right Hmm. um but like maybe at some point I'll write a handbook on like the steps I took to get to where I am because there are logical things mentally I did some things took longer than others some things you could probably avoid or do it differently but for the everyday working musician who's trying to build a career that is like um an industry career whatever that means there are steps you can take without having to have this lottery pick moment where you're you just picked totally. by the label or you just, you know, you just had a viral video, you know what I mean? Um, and I, you know, so.
1: Even in that, you know, when you talk like that, there's, there's, there's a, there's a kindredness in that because I've often said I've been on this slow broken escalator ride. That's like always going up. It hasn't, right, it hasn't right. stopped, <laughs> hasn't broke down. Um, and much, much the same. Like I felt like for me, I signed a record deal, Five years ago now okay. uh, to to an indie label out of Toronto called MDM recordings, a country label. A small operation, but you know we're we're small but mighty uh, doing some good we're, things here in the in the Canadian country great. music scene. Um, but I really believe in exactly what you're saying. I've thought about that too, like the idea of writing a guidebook for for artists that that, that artists, believe right? <laughs> that believe you have to be picked up by the machine in order to be successful. and I don't agree with that. I think you can be success. You can build your own success without that, albeit it's harder. But I think I think the rewards could be that much greater as well.
0: Now more than ever. Like, yeah. it, the, fa- the the audience is right there. Like, we've never had a time in history. It, it's it's now more than ever. And I think it's better than ever to to try to do as much as you can yourself, to attain as much as your control, creative control, financial c- control yourself. We did it by default. Like, I've had meetings. I had meetings with Island Records in the UK. I've had meetings with Sony. You know what I mean? Um, obviously none of them went anywhere really, but, you know, I've been in those rooms and had those conversations and I realized, oh, as a black singer songwriter in the folk Americana, you know, space, I'm on my own, you know what I mean? Like nobody gets this, like, you know what I mean? I'm not like, I don't have the aesthetic that like they're trying to sell. It's hard for that. you know, so... And I'm grateful for it, you know what I mean? And I'm grateful that I I never quit. I'm grateful that my wife has always been by my side to kind of like show me support and just let me know like you got this, you know what I mean? Um, And England was like, to go back a little bit, England had a meeting with, I don't even know what his job is now, but he he worked for Spotify. Not not at the time he worked for Spotify, but eventually started working for Spotify. He was a manager and we had a lunch meeting with him and he was talking about managing us or doing bookings for us. I said to Ashton, my, my wife Ashton, if I don't get confirmation about my career within a year, then I might call it quits. You know what I mean? Cause like, I don't want to, I just don't want to do this forever. Like if it's not, if it doesn't make sense. And the guy, the manager was like, I asked him, why did you like, why did you even take the meeting with us? It's because I see your potential, man. Like what I, I can just, I can just, I spot potential. And he's like, don't ever stop. Like you have something special. Keep going. Right. And that was like, my, that's all I needed to hear. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And, and that was just yeah, like, okay. The I affirmation, yeah. The affirmation. Because a lot of people at that time, I won't say a lot, but there were people in my life at that time that were like doubting what I was doing and and, if, and, and like going back to family. It's not that people don't want to support you, but most people you encounter experience the world through their failures, right? And they create, um, not buffers but like safety safety nets based off of the failures of themselves and then they pass those failures on to the people around them and said, Oh you can't do that, you gotta be careful. Like my my relationship didn't work, so you gotta be careful with this relationship. Or I was you know, like, um I tried to be artistic and it didn't work for me, so you know it's not gonna work for you and, and projecting their
1: failures onto others, right. Right. Yeah.
0: And it's, it's, it's not always bad because if you have experience, share your experience and let it be known. But oftentimes it's not about experience. It's about just stopping somebody from doing something.
1: Hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break. More with I in just a minute.
0: Have you ever thought I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? I venture to guess that a
1: lot of the time it's people trying. You know, if you if you put your hand on the stove and you burn your hand, you go, "Well, don't touch that because I know that's hot. Right, you're going right. to get hurt." I think sometimes it probably comes from a sense of care in a way, but also I think there is an element of like allowing people to go out and find it for themselves. Like even <laughs> even as a parent, you might know this too. But like you know, when I, we were teaching our kids literally about the stove, like it's hot. You know, hot, yeah. we wouldn't we wouldn't let them touch it, but we'd be like, "By the way, that's hot. We're going to warn you, and we're going to we're going to show you that it's hot." Right? right, it's, right. And sometimes I think that. You know i guess one analogy is is that there is that element of protection but in this context you know being in the music industry is not not necessarily you're going to go get burned but there's a chance that you're probably going to get burned
0: there's more of a chance that you'll get burned than not get burned <laughs> but yeah and, and i think people they their intentions are good you know I always, you know but their intentions are not always pure if that makes sense yep
1: yeah, that yeah, totally well, I think because there's probably somewhere in the back mind of their mind too that there's this jealousy. Well, then if you make it, then I'm going to be even more hurt. <laughs> you
0: know that's, that that's, I didn't. That's that's deep, man. right? Yeah, that's therapy couch stuff, right? <laughs> but that's that's real. Like no, but it's there is a there is a part of oh we can go down that path. The the people. How do I say? I don't want to be negative, but like people do try to sabotage other people because. I remember, I'll give you an example that's not like talking about something. Like, I don't drink. I never drank ever, right? And you go to parties and stuff. I'd still go to parties. And like, anybody say, like, oh, you don't drink? Oh, I don't drink. And then immediately they feel guilty. And they got to tell me, mm. like, well, I only drink on these days. or only da-da-da-da. And it's like, hey, I'm not here. I'm not judging you. I'm not here to tell you what to do. So people feel guilty or they feel like, oh, like, if you have a higher standard, you make me feel insecure about what I'm doing. And it's just mm. like, and again, I don't think drinking or not drinking is a higher standard. I have my own choices, my own reasons for that. But people would do that in life and everything. You know what I mean? Like, and it's it's it all it's all rooted from trauma.
1: Their own experience. It's rooted yeah. from
0: I can go, it's 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 rooted from like systemic classism. Like there's so many elements mm. to why we do the things we do. Ultimately, every choice is our own. So you have a yeah. choice to go down this path or not go down this path. But there are reasons why we're insecure. There's reasons why, and it's not always a matter of oh, you're just a jerk or you're just an asshole or you just don't believe in me. It's because you know, like some sometimes it's just financial reasons. Like I don't want you to live mm. in poverty. I don't. I mean, we mm. didn't grow up in poverty. You know what I mean? But like maybe there were moments where like certain bills had to be paid that month, and my overall experience was in poverty. But that was a tough month. And I yeah. don't want my children to go through that month or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, I, you know, like if 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 I wasn't a musician, I'd be like a therapist or something or a, a clinical psychologist or something because I, I can go heavy on this stuff because yeah. I, I, part of why I feel like traveling and seeing the world is because like reading people and intuiting people and getting a vibe from people is something I love doing and something I like to like like connect with people and, and learn the true elements of them, right? Um, but it, it gets deep, and, and I think that's why, for me, music is is so valuable, because I can distill all of that in very simple melodies and chords and words in my voice. Mm. You know what I mean? And and without getting too heady, because I can get heady, extremely heady, I just put that in a very simple capsule that's that I can just say, here, this is how I want to help you get through trauma. This is why I want to help, help you get through classism. And I know it sounds weird saying classism, but, you know, I want to using that example because we're talking about like our careers and financials Mm -hmm. and not going to university or whatever, but like those things affect, you know, our mentality affects how, where we, not always, all the time, like oppression can be oppression in that oppression can be a thing that just keeps someone there intentionally. Right. That's a whole nother Mm -hmm. conversation, but there is a part of life where mentality can overcome oppression. You know what I mean? It might, it might require a fight or might require some kind of resistance, but, um, I do think that music has a way of, of just getting to the core and getting mm-hmm. to what people need to hear without yeah. like talking about it. <laughs> you know I mean? Well, you know, it's, um,
1: it's Bob Marley that said where, where words fail, music speaks. Is that a Bob Marley quote? I, yeah,
0: Probably. I, I yeah. He would say something as beautiful yeah. as that. Yeah.
1: And, and I, there's, <laughs> so I listened this past week. I really dove into prospect and, yeah. you know, you talk about these yeah. things about, man, Honestly, you, I, I don't, I don't, I know I'm, I'm far from the first person to tell you this, but you got, you got such a gift of like speaking to from the heart to the heart. I, I hear your words, oh, and I, <laughs> I, 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 don't just hear them, but I feel it. And there's such a gift in that that I, I, I receive, and I'm, I'm grateful for. I wanted to go oh. back on something for just a second here because you mentioned it a little while ago, sort of be you know, being a, a black folk Americana singer. You feel like you're, you're more particularly here in Canada. A lot of record labels don't always know where that space is for you, because um, you had said uh, uh, in 2021 when you talked about when you were reaching out to labels, and the label said to you, "We're not a label with expertise in soul and R and B," and you said, "Well, I'm actually a folk, folksy singer songwriter whose music is similar to you know any artist on that particular roster." Then they apologized, but then you said the psychological damage was already done. And I loved this line. You said, "I'm not gonna allow anybody to judge my book by the color of my skin." And I just I thought that was such a great way mm. to to portray that. And so I guess I want to know how you've navigated that piece of the story because you've you've mentioned a couple times, you know, traveling the world as as you know a, a tall. You know scruffy black man that you've you know maybe felt a little bit safer because of that but (laughs) but on this side of it you know like feeling also marginalized and feeling like in the the music community not feeling uh embraced sometimes because of the way you look
0: so when i say the damage was already done i don't want to belittle anybody who has who has gone through like real traumatic experiences you know what i mean but you know trauma can be different there's different levels of trauma right yeah and To my career that someone saying that was kind of traumatic in a way because of what it did for my first two records, I wouldn't put my face on the first two records, right? I had this whole, I, and I concocted this whole strategy of like how I'm going to sell my records. So like, if I don't show my face and people just hear my voice, then they'll, they'll receive the music. And, but this, the just the idea of having to think like that, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, Ed Sheeran never had to think like that. Maybe right. he did, maybe he did. You know, maybe he's like, I'm not I'm not Brad Pitt, so maybe, you know what I mean? But um, not just based off of his skin color. I mean, he's a ginger, so who knows? Like, you know, <laughs> in the UK, there's probably some racism towards the ginger. So maybe Ed Sheeran's not the best example. But I'm sure there are artists who never have to think about not putting their face on the record to, right. to trick people, right? And I would have never thought that way because prior to that, my face were on my record. And I didn't. I changed that because of that conversation from a label that I respected, that I looked up to, and that if I said their name now, people would all be shocked because they're not a. They're, they're, they have a significant space in the Canadian music industry, right? And I, I don't think the person was being racist. I don't think the person was trying to scar me or hurt me. I think they just said what they say in the industry, and they just say what they thought. You know what I mean?
1: Have you felt more? supported in your role now as a musician in in the, the arts and in uh, the, the folk and americana community or have you felt no. you're still struggling there
0: i don't think i'm struggling i think i feel like i have i have a lot to prove like i think i have an axe to grind a little bit um i think i think that i believe truly in my heart that i'm going to be one of those stories in canada where we're like how did we miss this like you know what i mean like you know i do get support here and there from certain people and, and you know but I don't like saying it because it sounds like I'm bragging or it sounds like I'm I'm blowing my head up, but I'm realizing that like the people who brag and who 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 act cocky, I don't I would never do that. Those are the people that people praise, you know what I mean? Like when you're humble and kind about it, people just like, oh yeah, he's doing his thing. But like if certain artists in Canada had the numbers that I had on streaming, if they saw my books or whatever, you know what I mean, the awards would be flying left, right, and center. You know what I mean? And I don't say that to say like I'm great or whatever, but it's just, like I don't jump from the mountaintop and say, hey, in this space of Folk Americana, I'm one of the, I'm one of the most streamed artists in Canada. I've been on this Spotify Folk Global chart for f- over 50-something weeks hmm. with Noah Kahn, Taylor Swift. Like, every single artist on the top 50 were label artists. You know what I mean? Like, major label... Or had some label major label affiliation, and I was the only one on there. Like, maybe I need to put a package together and send it out... I kinda don't care because I remind myself that like I care, yes, I do care, but like I kinda don't care because I make music for people. And that's why I got into it. I didn't get right. music for awards or for radio interviews. Those things are good because it shows that people care. It gives you affirmation. But, you know, the real affirmation is the messages I get from people in my DMs. You know, I got a message just a couple of days ago from a guy who said, He believes the last song his brother listened to before I died was my song Until You. You can't. That's better than any award. You can't. There's no award that can compare to that. You know what I mean? Well,
1: Um, I said so many times in my career, people, you know, I get asked, what's the highlight of your career? And, you know, there's fun gigs, there's fun, there's still bucket list things that I'd like to do. But I've always said the highlight for me in my career has known, has been hearing from somebody saying, this song hit me in this way. And that it's, that, it's, that beats any award that I've ever had, you know, and I feel like for me, it's always been about affecting the heart. It, it hits me first, and my goal is to hopefully hit you in the heart as well.
0: It's easy to get jaded. It's easy to feel like no one's paying attention, especially when you're a Black artist in the folk space, you know what I mean? Especially when, like, you know, Na- even Nashville, like, I love going to Nashville. I love writing, like, write, creating music in Nashville, but I don't have, like, a strong... Footprint yet in Nashville, mm. like, and that takes time. That takes networking. That takes certain types of relationships. My music ha- has gone around the globe, but I'm still like in limbo, where like Canada mm. hasn't hasn't completely dug its teeth into me. The U.S. hasn't completely dug its teeth into me, and then I have certain mm. things in the U.K. going and in, in Europe. My my music is bubbling, especially like Germany. So like, I, I truly believe that there will be a convergence and like a synchronicity of all of it coming together, where. My moment, whatever that means, will happen. You know what I mean, like, and that's why I don't stop. That's why I don't care so how that, old that I am. That tipping point,
1: right? That like that tipping right. point, whatever that is on the scale. Like, I, there's there's a I can't remember what it's called, but there's like an actual uh, scale that yeah, it's you might know not it.
0: critical mass, but like there's a I think it's a bit point of that. Good word. Yeah,
1: where yeah. yeah, we're we're just like all of a sudden. Not that you don't still grind and you don't still build and you don't still work towards something, but there is this tipping point where it's like, this is this is. I don't safety feels like the wrong word to use too, but like this is this is working. And the big part of it is just like exposure and actually I can, you know, fully pay my bills and know that I'll have this right, right, for, right. forever, right?
0: Right, right. And I look at it like if you disappeared and stopped making music, how many of your audience would care? Right? Do you have enough people that would be like waiting for your next project? Like we need you know what I mean? So that's like the tipping point. I think that's a good term. Are the, are the critical mass of fans who are like, I want I's music forever, I want Don's music forever, and if he doesn't make music, I'm going to be posting every day until he makes a new album. You know what I mean? Like, right. that's that's a, that's point a critical too. mass, that yeah. you, You'll work forever like that, so I don't think I've hit that yet, but it, 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 I'm super confident. Like, like, I've you know, prospect was me breaking into a level of confidence, you know. By going deep into myself and deep into the music, you know, it's 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 it's, it's not like a, a a heavy album. I mean, there's moments where it's heavy, but like it was just me pouring out during a during a you know time where it's like I could do that. You know what I mean? Um, and my next record, I just feel like oh, it's just confidence. It's just like this is what I want to do, and I'm going to do it at the highest level that I can do it, and I'm going to find the people who are going to help me accomplish that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Who are going to support that in every facet, uh, like. As big as my voice is, I want the people around me to be that big. You know what I mean? Like, I I know my voice is powerful, so the people that are working with me have to be that powerful as well, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. When did you start? 10, 15 years ago?
0: 2011, 12. Okay. Let's say say 11.
1: when you did that to now, have you seen a growth in people's openness uh, to you and to to what you do? Like, like, again, being a, a folksy Americana black artist... Um, have you felt like the, the, I'm asking this because as a, as an indigenous, you know, Métis artist, uh, I've really seen a a shift partly because the, the reconciliation conversation is so huge in our country. Um, and I've, I've, I've felt the weight of that and, and I felt the shift of people going, we need to create change. And I, and I'm really somebody who's trying to be on the front lines of that change. Um, so I, I'm coming from a place of saying, I've seen change. Have you, in your perspective, you know, in your shoes, felt change happening
0: i'm the guy yes I, i'll say yes to me first first of all yes but i'm the guy that's like what does change mean hmm. right so do we change the pieces of a broken system or do you change the whole system right?
1: dismantling yeah
0: right and Maybe I'm an extremist, maybe I'm an anarchist. I don't know. I don't, like, I, I'm also, I'm, I'm very much like a pacifist the, at the end of the day. But I think that there is an element to the system that's broken. I agree. You know what I mean? And what I like about my people, and I say my people, like people, the, the, the descendants of slaves of the Americas, right? Is that we keep pushing the morality goalpost because we want equality for everybody in every way possible, right? You know what I mean? Like people can say, well, you're free. You were free. You you know, you're free. And they're like, well, well, we want the vote. We want to be able to like to sit on the, whatever part that we want, clean water. We want, so yes, I do think that people are being more sensitive to my place in the industry. Mm. But there are things that I want to see dismantled to be honest you know what I mean yep. there's an overhaul of things that I want to see you know what I mean um mm. I was in Nashville talking with some 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 folks you know um some potential business partners and we're we're talking about natives and I and we were saying like so are what what would be the best solution like and I this is going to go we don't have to go down this path if it's too heavy, I'm, but like, I'm good just, for I'll it just, yeah I'm here I'll, for I'll it, just put it out totally there. like we have European leadership all throughout this country, right? If if this is native land, and that's what we were standing by, what steps are we taking to give it back to them? We can put all the grant funding into the native community we want. We can get all the resources we want and give to the native community. We can give them tax-free life. We can say, you know, you never have to pay for groceries in your life again. But will we ever be willing to relinquish control? What was taken? And what was taken, right? Will we ever be willing to actually make reparations, which is just repairing the damage, right? Right. So that's the conversation. So my mind goes there. That's why, like, I stay quiet all the time because my mind doesn't like. So, when you, so yes, I I have, and I'm grateful for the people, the individuals in my life. Who have even came up and apologized for their behavior? Whoever Mm. you know what I mean. But this is not an individualistic problem. You know what I mean. Um, This is this is the system, and I'm not even sure. I'm just being a philosopher. I'm not even sure that we have to dismantle the system. I'm not even sure if that's the best situation because there's now there's geopolitics. That we have to think about that that we we creative cr- we created those things over these years based off of you know the the complete dismantling of the native population the complete dehumanization of the black population and now these systems exist because we did those things mm. so I don't know what we can do you know what I mean so it's not as simple as I'm making it uh, yeah but, it's
1: definitely not yeah
0: but that is the question that I'll always have you know what right. I mean in the music industry if for for decades, almost the better part of a century, black people have created the most um wealth in the music industry and possibly in inter- the entertainment industry. I mean, at least sports and music will say, right? When do we create a balance in ownership and leadership in that space? As mm-hmm. opposed to we own, you know, we own this. We own the whole label, and then we have a president who's who's a black person. Like, when does the black person own the whole label? And I, it's not about and it's not about black and white. It's about you know when are we going to stop exploiting? And this could be black, it could be race, it could be gender, it could be anything. Like, um, it. So I I will always look at the world from from the lens of. Where my people have come from and where we want to go, because because mm-hmm. whatever for whatever reason, deep down in our, our hearts, we have a strong desire for morality. We have a, a strong desire for equity, and that desire has pushed us and kept us alive through some of the worst conditions in human history. You know what I mean? So that's a heavy, long-winded answer to your question, mm-hmm. but yes. Yeah. But no. You know I mean? Well, dude, <laughs> you know
1: I, mean? I, I, I appreciate all that because I think, again, th- this this show is called Through the Fire and it's talking about, right. the, you know, and that's a fire we're all in the midst of right now. And, <clears throat> you know, when you talk about, like people often say, what does reconciliation mean to you? I'm going to philosophize for a second here too. Um, you know, and you talk about, you know, what, for Indigenous people, what is it that they really want? Well, I, I've always thought of this analogy and I, I don't know if this has been said anywhere else. It was just something I had a thought of a, a couple years ago. This idea that, you know, imagine a home all and it's all indigenous people in this home and then one day european settlers come along and they say no we're gonna this we're gonna use this we're gonna take this we're gonna have this and you're gonna go out live by the trash cans right and 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 there's no resources there that you can really use and then time goes by a few centuries pass by and then everybody in the house goes wait a second we didn't this is not ours we we don't own this we we took this from those people over there and then they say we apologize. We're recognizing the errors of our ways, albeit you still got to stay out by the trash. So now yeah. you've apologized for the wrongdoing that you've done, but but the giving the land back, giving the place back, hasn't happened. And so that's the, I think that's the psyche. And I'm, I'm kind of you know, I'm, 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 I'm maybe I'm dumbing it down too much in that sort of context. No, but no. that's my perspective when I think about. That's, I look at it that way. Yeah, the way maybe a lot of indigenous people in this country have felt. In 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 Canada and North America, um, and so that's that's maybe a piece of the story that not a lot of people think about. Is like like when you go really go back and look at the history and to where we are today, and this this whole land back movement, I think that's part of the conversation that people need to be kind of keeping in mind. So I, I felt like I, I wanted to share that piece.
0: Yeah, it's it's it, unfortunately it it may never happen.
1: It may never you know, happen
0: because because giving up power, like the other side of it is. If someone acknowledges that they got a position as on a job because of um nepotism or because of like um lack of equity or whatever whatever you know like you, 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 privilege I'd say but, but mm-hmm. a better way to say it and f- them re- them being a part of re- fixing the problem is losing their job and losing their ability to provide for their family mm. do we should we expect that person to give up that job mm. you know what I mean yeah that's the hard that's the hard question. Now you're getting into like martyrdom kind of almost. and most people are not martyrs if if, right. if everybody had a, a, was a martyr, then we wouldn't have the term. you know what I mean like yeah. um, so it' it's 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 a it's a weird thing because like because I understand people have like if, if we're all fighting for for progress and we're all like it's in the system of capitalism, Whoever can you know capitalize on the situation moves ahead and, and that's how it works.
1: I think that the question comes to my mind in my heart is is the moralistic compass, which probably doesn't come into conversation a lot in politics, right, right like what's right, the right. what's the moral right here and and we do live in this capitalistic society and it, and it, it's like there's different tiers and levels of it too. like people look at guys like you and me. And go, man, those guys are rich. they're, they're wealthy. They're they're living the life. And right, in right. comparison to the life that they might have, yeah, we're rich guys. And then I think they look to us going, what are you doing for me? Right. right and then right, we're right. looking to the next level up beyond us, going, Well, what are they doing for me? And then it just is, it's this it's this broken system, like you say, that we have to like change and it's the changing the psyche of people.
0: And that's hard, man. Like, you know, I, I think that's why I, I focus so much on the people and the individuals. My music's not political. I have very strong political opinions about everything, right? I don't get into it often, but um, it's about people at the end of the day. And you got to, you got to mm. affect the hearts of people. That's why I think music is such a great way well, to, to get into people's hearts and to get them to feel like, you know, I can do something, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I had like during the whole like George Floyd debacle, um, I was speaking to my friend and mentor, um, black guy in the music industry, and he's very successful, you know? And we were just talking about it, because it's the first time, I think I think it's like the first time me and him ever had this kind of conversation. Mm. And he said something to me that will always stick with me. He's like, when they brought us here, they never had any intention of freeing us. We were always supposed to be slaves, right? And when he said, I don't know what, it just sparked something heavy in me. You know what I mean? You mm. could say for the native population, You were supposed to be extinct. Like there was never any intention of sharing anything. Like you were supposed to be wiped off the face of the earth. Mm. That was if that was possible, it would have happened. Like what they did in Utah to the Native Native Americans in Utah. I don't know if you know about all that, but like crazy story, right? Mm. Now we have to be some of the most forgivable people on this planet, our, our our communities, because you know, like what we should harbor in our hearts to this day, you know, is terrifying. You know what I mean? If The weight of what we experienced was dished out in revenge it would be insanity on planet earth right now right Mm. and my point is like the problem that we're we're seeing in the world the problems are you know they'll never end they'll never change maybe our lives are only this long you know what i mean In, in the grand scheme of the universe of life so like we have to find a way to enrich ourselves in these moments and when when the heart changes the condition can possibly change it's like a slow percolation like it's not like either it's going to be everything you got to change the people who are operating the system which is what you're saying you know change the hearts of everybody the psyche or you got to get rid of the whole system and start over right and i don't think we're going to get rid of the whole system and start over you know
1: i mean man if if you and i could solve the problem that'd be that'd be pretty beautiful but i think i think music has the power to be part of the medicine that's healing the system You know what I mean and so and I hear that in yours um, and you know I want to be respectful of time too I mean we right. you, know, you, you and I both I think could sit and have a good long conversation <laughs> for, because for it, my my I really enjoy these deep conversations that's really where I want to go but at the same time I want to be respectful of time I know you got kids and family running around and uh, mine should be home relatively soon here too and I gotta gotta feed them some lunch right away but I wanted to just uh, say, first of all, thank you so much for spending some time with me and being willing to go deep and share as, as much as you have. Before I go, though, I want to know what what's, what's on the horizon for I? What, do you, what are you looking down the future? Where, where do you want to go besides continuing to change hearts?
0: Man, so, you know, based off when this seems like it's going to air, I, I was recently just won a Black Music Awards, um, which, is kind, which is kind of awesome. No right?
1: way, that's incredible.
0: Uh, one, of, one of five artists. So that, that's cool. That was a new, that was news I got to to begin my year. That's like, oh, wow. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> exciting. Uh, but I'm working on a new record. So I just, my wife and I just bought a new house um, outside of Toronto. We left the city in the process of getting my studio ready so that I can go into like next album mode. And like, like I was saying earlier, like, I just feel like, I don't know how to explain it. Like you just feel like, oh, no, one's going to stop me now. Like mm. I get, I, I've learned too much. And I'm still so fresh in this thing. Like nobody, there's a large population on this planet who doesn't know me. A lot of people in the industry don't have no clue who I am. So like it's, I didn't have my moment yet. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, it's not like I had a moment, it didn't work and then I'm coming back. Hey, I'm back to have another moment. Like it's still like, my moment can still happen. So the next album, the next cycle really excites me. Um, Been having meetings, I just came back from Nashville, bringing some new people on my team. Prospect was, was an independent release with 30 Tigers. And um, have great support from from David Macias at Thirty Tigers, but you know a lot of what we did on that record, like me and Ashton, are still like I have boxes of like records in my garage that like I got. You know, like we're we're still the label at the end of the day. Like Thirty Tigers is a distribution deal. I'm still the label, right? And from that experience, like we just learned so much, and like we made so many mistakes, and like we pushed so hard to get things to happen. And now once you ha- like once you do all those things yourself. You learn and you gain. You get experience. You're like, oh, okay. On my next record, I won't do this. I'll do this. I know enough now to like take it to the next level. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like this, and you're always pushing yourselves. Like last album, we tried to do a bunch of music videos, and we learned things about like certain things there, and like the timing of distributing the music videos, how much money you should put into a music video. Should you do five videos as opposed to one really good video and put all your money right. into that video? This so. That's exciting. Getting getting to that. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. Like working on new music, co-writing a lot more. I've not done a Any lot of touring in the you past. Playing out.
1: You got some tours on the horizon, or
0: uh, yeah, Milo. Milo, I'm I'm heading to Europe to tour Milo in April, May. Um, end of April, early May. Milo's a guy from Belgium. He's an incredible guy, incredible songwriter. Uh, we did a couple of shows in Belgium, in his home country, um, at the end of the, the year, like in, in, in December. Mm. And uh, we're gonna finish that tour up in April, May. So that's that's. Pretty awesome. much the, the, my next focus, um, okay. but right now I'm just like I got an album in me that's I think is gonna be incredible. Like it's I got weird. an album in yeah, me yeah. that people are gonna be like, wow, okay. okay,
1: you know. I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, your your wife's name again? ashatan Ashitan, do you and Ashitan dream together? Do you sit there and talk about? I mean, obviously, she's your manager, I'm assuming, yeah. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Our whole (laughs) life is a dream together. Like, uh, that sounded cheesy, but I mean, (laughs) that's that's beautiful, man. I love that. (laughs) I didn't read it like that, but like, Yeah. um, yeah, yeah. We, we, like, you know, I'll write business plans out, and like, my business plans are more like, like, like vision plans more than like mm-hmm. they're not, It's you do the numbers and stuff like that, but it's more like, okay, what are my visions? What are my goals? How do I want to attain yeah. them? What do I want my team for every album? I do that. Right. I just write out a business plan and she'll read through it and she'll help me work through it and I'll bounce my ideas off her. And like, when I say, when I say I talk a lot, like she gets the bulk of that because when I'm out and doing stuff, I'm very quiet, very observant. I'm, I like to study the room and study the place I'm at. I don't talk a lot when I'm out, but when I'm with her, she gets all my ideas and I get right. um, So we, yeah, and, and she, you know, she she's been very supportive. And like without her, I don't know how far I would have made it in this industry because you know, mm-hmm. she she believed in me when not many people did. She saw the potential in me when not I, I when I say saw the potential in me, like she just always was like, You got this. There's some changes that I'm excited to talk about soon once 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 we pin those those things in and uh finalize, if they get finalized. Um, and those will be exciting. And those will be like, um, career altering moments, I believe. So it's, it's around the corner and I'm, I'm ex- I'm s- real excited about that. And she'll be there for everything. Right.
1: Well, I, man, I just want to say, I appreciate you so much. All of this stuff for me is so valuable and just hearing you speak and the, the passion behind everything you do. We're grateful here on through the fire. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. As I always say, it takes a village to run things here at through the fire, and I want to thank my village, executive producer Sarah Burke, administrators Lori Brown and Alan Grey Eyes, video and audio design by Chris Godrie and his team at 44 Films, feisty creative for their design work, social media support by Johnson Design Company. And last, but far from least, I want to thank our technical producers, Matt Kundle and Evan Serminski from the Sound Off Media Company. I look forward to sharing more great conversations just like this one on the next Through the Fire.
0: You see the light. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. Hi, I'm Emily Roger. And I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world.